This is Working the Beat. It is Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. I'm Kevin Coney. Thanks for joining us. Our buddy Mike Kern will join us in a minute. And so will our guest, uh, an old friend of mine who used to cover the Phillies for the Wilmington News Journal, now is one of the college football reporters for ESPN. Um, he has been uh, covering mainly the ACC. He's been around the Clemson program for a long time uh, with Dabo Sweeney. Uh, so I wanted to bring him on to talk about kind of where college football stands as we enter in the July and next week, you know, basically camps can start reopening again. Um, so David Hale will join us and we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll throw in some Philly or we'll throw in some MLB stuff too. Um, given that everything is going on and David's living in the Charlotte area. So we'll get a better sense maybe on how the coronavirus is playing down there. Biggest news of the day. Obviously, Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred last night announcing that uh, they will have a 60-game season. It will begin in late July, a couple days before the NHL and the NBA are scheduled to come back. Uh, They implemented the contract. Um, And so Mike and I will talk about that. And the NBA's return to work plan, which is agreed to now. And um, so... It appears like even despite all these numbers, at least these leagues are moving forward with the idea of um, going forward. You know, in places like Texas and Florida and Arizona and California, massive spikes in the coronavirus cases, which cast some serious doubts over whether these years will be played to a conclusion. But they will at least start on time, or they will at least give an attempt to start. And that, I think, is the... uh, the ultimate, well, the, the main thing also is the the pure folly of the way that the baseball negotiations played out. It, it, just a disaster. Anyway, um, we also want to thank, uh, we want to welcome to our podcast family, um, actually, Last Out Media, uh, who is going to be uh, broadcasting this podcast um, every twice a week, uh, every week. Uh, it'll be on their platforms as well as the traditional Twitter platforms. Uh, John Crichton, uh, Frankie Donahue, uh, we knew them over at, at uh, Wildfire, and uh, they are going to try to help us get some more visibility for this little program. Thank you for all the feedback last week on the Jim Gardner interview um, and on the Chris Carlin interview. It was a lot of fun last week. Um, uh, but, and, you know, our thanks again to those guys for taking time, and our thanks to all the guests who take time to come on this program, you know, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk sports and other stuff with them. And uh, our goal on this has been to, you know, m- educate you, especially at this time when there's no sports going on. Have some fun, talk some real life, and to uh, move forward. So we um, it'll be interesting to see how things go here as we are roughly a month away from everything kind of getting restarted here. Uh, when we come back, it'll be David Hale. We'll talk college football. We'll even talk maybe a little baseball, sneak a baseball question in for him. Uh, one of the better guys to be around. David Hale from ESPN. The college football reporter is next on Working the Beat right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Working the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. 
join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Working the Beat podcast family. College football seems to be on a path to return, at least it hopes to return in on Labor Day weekend, like as scheduled. But uh, obviously, there are some hiccups along the way, you know, as testing goes up and cases go up. And oh, yeah, there's also social protesting going on, which has caused some problems for some schools. So we figured it would be a good time to bring in the college football writer who covers the ACC primarily for ESPN. He's been there since 2012. Former Wilmington News Journal Phillies beat writer and a good buddy. David Hale. David, how are you? I am well, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. Um, all right. I think Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit might have been right. Which is? No no football? No. I, 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 Kevin, every time I turn around, and I understand it was not going to be hiccup-free, as you say. I say speed bump-free, whatever. Like, what is too many problems? Well, look, you, you, we'll get into it. So, right. I mean, okay. but every day, every day, 15 schools are testing positive for guys. <laughs> right. Da- yeah. So, David, that's the question. Uh, where do you think this stands right now as we get ready to enter July when a lot of schools have reopened for, for some workouts and programs will start getting in the full full speed here in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, not good. It's not good. Look, I mean, here, the, the – the bottom line is most of these programs were kind of closing their eyes, crossing their fingers and hoping it all worked out. And I think that's probably not unique to college football. That's most places in this, in the country right now. Um, the fact of the matter is that was never going to happen, that there were inherently going to be issues. Now, um, I mean, I, I think it is reasonable to sit back and start asking about cost benefit analysis on some of the things that, that uh, have to do with, with the virus and, and how much risk are we willing to take in order to uh, eat at a restaurant in order to fly on a plane in order to see college football get played. Um, The problem that you have is that a, the people determining risk on that are the people who are making all the money, the presidents, the eighties, the coaches, the free labor in, uh, in college football is not really getting much of a say in that. So there's an inherent power dynamic that I think, is really underscored by a lot of the other social issues that are going on right now. I mean, you've got, uh, I think, players being more empowered to speak out than they have ever been. And while that focus has certainly been on social and race issues right now, um, I will not be surprised, and we've already started to see it at UCLA, where players said that they wanted an independent testing crew to come in because they didn't trust the university. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is, uh, you know, as you as you alluded to, we've already got a ton of positive tests coming back, and and places like Clemson and LSU very too much too much testing, positive. David. Too much that, testing. Too much testing going on. That's right. It's too much testing. You frankly, the bottom line is most schools are not doing enough testing. I mean, yeah, exactly. There's, there's, there's plenty of schools that their idea of testing was screening, look for symptoms, and look for uh, temperature screenings. And because the tests are frankly expensive. They're about $110 per test. Uh, at least that's the number I got from Clemson on this. So schools, uh, you know, it's one thing for Notre Dame or Penn State to spend $110 per test on it, all of their athletes. It's another thing for 
you know, Kent State or uh, or some of the small, Akron. you know, an FCS school to, right. to spend that. That's a big chunk of their budget. But you know, we're we're seeing all these positive tests come in, and we haven't even started actual workouts yet. Most of these yeah. guys are still being relatively isolated in groups of anywhere from four to ten, usually depending on the school. So imagine when we start you know, literal blood and sweat and breathing on each other and tackling each other in a practice. That's a much different level of contact. So when you're getting 10% positive rates at Clemson and they've not actually done anything other than some light lifting so far, what does that tell you about what's going to happen during the season? Mike? Yeah, it's and this is a couple – I was playing with golf the other day with a few people who work at colleges, David. Um, Not uh, uh, Power 5 conference school, but whatever – the one guy, some interesting points. One is that Oregon makes as much on parking at one football game as their entire budget for the whole year. So it, it is like not – it's apples and whatever, pineapples. But the one person said they have – I said, do you have anything in place for these kids when they come back? He goes, oh, yeah. We got a whole big thing. You know, they're supposed to do this. 14. He goes, they're not going to follow it. They're 20-year-old <laughs> kids. And we don't seem to grasp that as adults. We said, they're going, okay, well, these kids are going to do that and, and – and he said they've already have plans that they're going to hit, but that they might not play football this fall, depending yeah. on what happens. And I just think people are kind of not – and pro football is one thing. You know, pro football, those guys, they're pros. We're dealing with, you know, young kids now who apparently are getting sick like old people now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's complicated. And, and you know, yes, to, to one extent, it's really hard to ask a college kid – I don't like using kid anyway. I'm trying to avoid using the word kid now because I feel like we're it's, that's part of the sort of power dynamic yeah. that happens in college right now. But these 18 to 22 year old guys who are on college campuses, I sure as hell when I was in college was not just sitting at home and being patient and uh, not enjoying myself. I mean, we see what 18 to 20 year old uh, folks are doing across the country. Uh, we see what 40 and 50 year old people are doing across the country. Um, mm-hmm. It is really hard to ask anyone especially someone who is in college to uh, essentially quarantine themselves in a dorm room. Um, it just doesn't, it's not reality. It might be your goal, but it's not reality. But, but even look at, at the rest of this is, this is part of the problem. I think with this conversation is people are, are limiting the conversation to, Oh, it's college athletes. Well, yes. The, the likelihood of an 18 to 24 year old having hospitalization-worthy symptoms from this disease is relatively low in comparison to the general societal Mm -hmm. demographic. But, one, we're not talking about just, you know, on average. We're talking about specifics here. So how many college athletes have severe asthma? How many of them have uh, sickle cell? How many of them have... um, you know, some are cancer survivors. I mean, we, we've seen like James Connor would have been one who classifies in that. I mean, so they're they're human beings. They're like, and they're there. So there are literally dozens of potential underlying symptoms here, but then add to it. Look, you've got coaches, Nick Saban, Mac Brown. Those guys are already in a high risk demographic because of age. There's guys, Jerry kill, who is on staff at, uh, I think TCU now, but used to be the coach of Minnesota who has had seizures and health problems over the years. I mean, that's high risk. There are plenty of others. Um, You know, I've talked to coaches who's, who have family members who have gone through cancer treatments and 
So are, are coaches supposed to just isolate in their office for the next six months and not go home and see family? Uh, and that holds true for the players too. I mean, it was it became sort of a meme and a running joke on draft day as as uh, one player is getting drafted after another, and the commentary was, "Well, here's his. He, he did this for his dad who died, and he did this for his brother who died." Mm-hmm. But but part of the takeaway from that is, man, everybody's got somebody that is in a higher risk demographic that is close to them, and uh, so to just assume that this conversation is about keeping. 18 to 24 year old athletes healthy is really minimizing what the demographic is. The larger demographic that we're talking about being able to, to be a part of college football is David, have we passed the point where they could pivot? Because remember earlier in the spring, there was talk of <clears throat> when, all, I guess maybe April, maybe they'll play a spring schedule. Um, you know, and, and then like, it seemed like everybody fell back in line with the fall when Notre Dame pushed their, Push their classes up in the August and then, you know, said that after Thanksgiving, nobody's coming back on campus. Are we beyond that point now where they could say, all right, guys, we'll see you February 15th and, and hope that Dr. Fauci's right and there's a vaccine? Right. Part of the problem is that the vaccine still is such a abstract thought and, and, the, and the comments from from dr fauci about essentially saying like this is more when than if that's great those are good news but when is still a tricky question if you're trying to schedule out a college football season and and there are tons of admittedly secondary factors but we're talking about how does this overlap with potentially with nfl season or with other sports um what about you know, keeping guys on, I mean, we're talking on a semester system here too. Um, what is, what does it mean weather-wise and where they're going to play some games potentially? Um, I mean, there's just a, a ton of questions that would have to be answered about playing ball in the spring instead of in the fall. It doesn't mean that those questions can't be answered, but to your point, there's a, you have, you have to say like, here's our drop dead date where if we're going to do this, we got to start planning that way instead of this way. And, and to me, the, the feedback that I have gotten, and, and granted, the calculus on this might change as over the last week we have seen these massive outbreaks places, and, and, and not just on college campuses, but nationwide, we're seeing a, a, a massive uptick. Um, so perhaps the calculus changes between now and uh, mid-July. But yeah, the window for making that change is, is growing increasingly small, and I have not gotten the sense that that is anyone's preferred method at this point. Mike? David, if you took fans out of the equation, and I know nobody wants to do that, the NFL in particular doesn't want to do that, but if you did that at college, and I don't know if college football is the same if you don't have, you know, those fans in the stands, but would it be easier to pull off, you think, if they just went into this with the idea, hey, at least for the first couple weeks, see how this goes. We may not be able to have fans, and, and then we'll see how it goes. Because it seems to me that, all these problems that we could be facing with just the athletic part of it, it just bringing the fan part into it yeah. just makes it even that much more difficult. Well, and when you think about what uh, a fan base is for college and how that different differentiates itself from the pro ranks too, is that you're largely talking about out of town fans coming in for college games. I mean, yes, there's a significant chunk that lives in, you know, Tuscaloosa, but really you're talking about fans from all over Alabama coming. The Florida State's a very good example of a program where, or Penn State too, actually, that have some of the most displaced 
alumni bases. So they're coming in to see a Penn State game from Philly, from Pittsburgh, right. from New York, from all over the place. Notre Dame uh, is a Notre great Virginia. one. Notre but, Dame would yeah. be a great one in that group. Yeah. So, I mean, it, the, the you're, you're talking about with college sports, you're talking about 130 teams just at the FBS level that participate in 43 different states that are going to be bringing in fans from all over the place uh, and really don't have the infrastructure set. I mean, nobody has the infrastructure set up to really be able to do testing on this, but college especially. I mean, we're, we're still talking about amateur athletics as much as we might say use the amateur in finger quotes there. Um, I, I just – there are states that are going to want to do it. Arkansas's AD has said we're going to we're, we're planning on full capacity. To me, that's ridiculous. But um, you know, the other thing of it is too is is from a financial standpoint, ticket sales mean more to college sports than they do to the NFL. The NFL sure. is going to be profitable just because of their TV deal, and and college has a good TV deal. Don't get me wrong, but the on-campus part of that. And the fans in the stands, part of that, it's a higher percentage. It's probably closer to 50-50 for college, whereas it's probably more like 75-25 for the NFL. So uh, there's pressure to to do it. Um, there are certainly some uh, folks in certain states and certain cities that are much more eager to do it. To me, it is just a nightmare waiting to happen. David Hale from ESPN joins us to talk some college football here. David, um to, to back up, I mean, you're talking about colleges that t- suffered a major economic loss when the NCAA tournament in basketball was called off. I mean, but if you lose football, the ripple effect's not going to be felt necessarily at the football program. I mean, yeah, there could be like five or six less assistant coaches out of 35 or whatever the hell it is. But it's field hockey, it's baseball, it's all the non-revs that will ultimately pay the price if there's no football season, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, look, there are certainly some programs that could decide to make changes even at the football level, depending, uh, and whether that's a uh, – we've already seen a, a lot of appeal from, I think, some of the MAC schools about trying to reduce NCAA re- restrictions on how many fans have to be in the stands and stuff like that because it's just not reasonable to do this year. But, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, we've already seen a number of schools just – and we haven't lost that much money comparatively yet right. uh, that are nixing programs. I think some of those schools wanted to nix those programs to begin with. Um, but what really – I mean, if you're looking at the, the dollars and cents of all this, it is hard not to be sort of awestruck by how much everything is funded by football at the college level. So, yeah. you know, at, at – probably the average school, 80 to 90% of revenue is coming strictly from football. So missing football season is not just problematic, it is catastrophic. And yeah, I think the, the long-term impact here is that you're going to see not just the, the smaller budget schools like Bowling Green or East Carolina or App State nixing some programs, you're going to see schools like Penn State and Texas and Alabama have to make some very tough decisions too. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you weather this storm. Part of the problem is because we have jerry-rigged this system to make football continue to look like an amateur sport at the college level. It's essentially, you know, schools are a nonprofit that has to spend what they're making. And so their expenses have been, exorbitant training facilities that are like 
play play pens. I mean, basically. Right. And and I mean, those are also, you know, when you build a new facility, that is not a thing where you just write that check and that's it. Accounting wise, you have accounted for this for 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. So there's just not wiggle room in budgets that should have wiggle room. I've asked the question of why are non-revenue sports so expensive? If high schools can afford to put on a track and field season, why is it so hard for a college to do it? And the fact of the matter is that the expenses for that have gone up because they've tried to find ways to spend the football money. Well, we, now you take that money out and uh, we're and nothing. And a follow before I let uh, Mike get in here. Could you see another round of conference shuffling? Because as the geographic, we'll, we'll use uh, the American as an example. Geographically, there's a lot of stretch there, you know, between, uh, you know, Temple and Houston and, and, and SMU and all that. Um, you know, even in the ACC, you know, the BC, Pitt, Syracuse, and for non-revs, it's expensive to put them on planes to send, you know, right. BC to Miami and all that. Could we see some 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 rearranging of conferences with all this? I mean, I think there's there's a lot to unpack with that question. The, the short answer is probably not anything substantive until we start talking about the playoff TV contract being renewed, conference TV contracts being renewed, TV drives the bus on all of those decisions. Um, but again, it sort of gets to the problem of balancing out what works for football and what works for everything else, because they're not the same. There's virtually no overlap in those Venn diagrams. The problem is because we're trying to squeeze everything else into what works for football for football. The ACC's footprint is great. Um, West Virginia joining the big 12 for football was great for all their other sports. It's terrible. Yeah. It it is costing them money. So I think one of the things, and, and I've talked to a lot of ADs throughout this process of like taking a step back and saying like, is how we were doing things the right way? Is there a way to do things better? And so I wonder in the long term if it has just become so obvious that you cannot um, shoehorn everything else into the football mindset. And so maybe we have to find a way to make football its own thing and let other sports, you know, golf can play regionally. Yeah, it doesn't sure. have to follow this this uh, conference football uh, footprint because it just, frankly, it doesn't make sense. It's hard on the athletes. They're missing. I mean, even aside the, the money, they're missing classes. They're 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 um, you know being asked to go places that are are not necessarily easy travel. It's hard yeah. to study. It's you know all the stuff that we. When we talk about amateurism, this is really those are the amateurs. Those are the people who are there for school that also happen to play a sport. And we're hanging a lot of responsibility on them because for football, it makes more sense. Mike, as as Kevin has said many, many times, Temple's the perfect example of this because Temple for football, they had to join that conference. We understand why, uh, but all yeah, they're sending their volleyball team to. Houston and 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 there and and you know it makes it makes zero amount of sense, but they're forced to do it because of football. Yeah, and I mean, look, the, the problem in general is again that we look at college football. We're trying to maintain this facade that it's an amateur sport, and it's not. I mean, the bottom line is it is not. There is so much money involved in it. Um, the the sport itself wants to market itself nationally. I mean, that's really the biggest. Uh, determining factor and how much more money comes into colleges down the road is whether college football can move itself from being a largely Midwestern and Southeastern sport to being a national sport. And they want to do that. Well, doing that 
and forcing all of the other sports to follow along is, is only going to exacerbate the problem. So and to me, there's, there's just big systemic questions that need to be asked and answered. And I don't know that there is, you know, certainly before all of the pandemic stuff, there was not pressure on these schools to ask themselves those questions, right. how much this changes. I think it depends on what happens to the economy as we move forward. And, and David, one other thing that Kevin's talked about a lot and with Notre Dame in particular, if you have, let's say the football's impacted in some way, who knows what way donors that give you a lot of money might not be given as much money, which never gets factored into the equation, but it is a very big part. Well, and I'll tell, I'll tell a story. I've been a, to have rights to get the Notre Dame tickets. I've had to give to the Rockney fund every year. Okay. It's a hundred bucks or so, but you give it and then it's a drop in the bucket, but that was your entryway into getting Notre Dame tickets. How many people are not going to do that this year? If you are not, if you, if you are a middle-class person, for lack of a better term, who is trying to make your mortgage and everything, those type of gifts are going to go away. And that's where those programs, if you have enough of that problem, and especially if you're not going to have tickets to sell this year, that's going to be the real problem for some of these schools. Yeah, you, you, if you look at where the money comes from, yes, TV deal, big thing. And, but, and, and that won't change in the short term, assuming games get played. But... Uh, donor revenue. I mean, not not just the seat licensing and all of that, but when you think about like when a new building gets built, that's usually because there's a handful of high dollar donors who give millions at a time. Well, you know, look, some of them will still do that, but some of them, you know, when gas prices are at uh, a ridiculously low point, oil is super cheap right now. What do you, who do you think is funding much of Texas and Oklahoma and, yeah. and places like that? Uh, so that is an issue you look at at the again if you remove fans in the stands like how much does that impact your revenue streams uh if people don't have discretionary income are they buying less uh, of you know jerseys and t-shirts and stuff like that that is a legitimate revenue stream um it's in a lot of ways none of these single things look like this big dollar thing that that changes the entire landscape but when you add them all together you're talking about a sizable percentage of your revenue and that, again, that's where I say, I mean, the things that are happening now are potentially seismic shifts for the smaller programs. But as you see those things happening, you know, when, when, when donors aren't giving money anymore, big money checks, that, that impacts huge programs. And, and that does have a potential seismic shift to the entire sport. David, uh, one area we're going to transition here on this one. Um, Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson program got called into account. One of their assistant coaches accused of using racial terms by a former player. Uh, Mike Gundy, we saw what happened in Oklahoma State uh, with a star running back coming out and, and saying things had to change after Gundy was caught wearing an OAN shirt. Uh, you mentioned the Chip I, Kelly. Iowa. Iowa. Iowa had a problem. You mentioned Chip Kelly and the problems at UCLA with, you know, kind of a mini revolt by players about his, his their health care and, and not necessarily trusting just the school to handle this are the days of football players, not questioning the coach over at this point. It's a, I would like to hope. So I think social media has given them a voice that they didn't have before. I think there's strength in numbers. 
Um, and, and I think you're seeing guys see other guys speak out and say, wait, I can do this too. Uh, I think we're at a critical moment societally where the pandemic has really ripped the, the, the curtains back on a lot of problems systemically within our society. And then the protests about the police killings and racial issues have uh, sort of inspired a lot of people to speak up probably that, that might not have been comfortable before, but the power dynamic in college sports is so tilted towards management for lack of a better term that I do wonder how sustainable this is. Um, you know, these are conversations we're having in June. Will players feel the same way about speaking out in November when there's games on the line, when your teammates might be pressuring you not to rock the boat that might lose you a game that costs you a bowl? Um, I, those are big questions to me. And, I, and, and part of the problem is that, that the systemic power dynamic here is so built into the system that until the system changes, it's hard. So, you know, we saw the guys from Northwestern, you know, close to 20 years ago now try to unionize uh, and that didn't come to fruition. But I almost wonder if that has to be the end point here. It, paying players, I think, is, a, 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 is, is going to be a more difficult question and I don't know how that turns out in the end. But I think players need to be able to have a seat at the table as big questions get asked. And whether that's name image likeness, whether it's their health care, whether it's racial issues and, and how uh, uh, coaching staff in a school handles those things. Unionization to me among players is going to be the ultimate way of shifting the true power dynamic here. And I think we're a long way from seeing it happen, but I think if, if the same kind of uh, moment happened that happened with the Northwestern guys, back then happened now we'd see a little bit different outcome mike yeah and, and at some point i know we're talking college football here but college basketball is the next big deal on the equation i can't help but think that that's going to get impacted you have less players mm -hmm. i get it but you're playing indoors and if the, all they're saying about this second wave is true that's about when it's going to hit well yeah so yeah, yeah so everything but, we're talking about football is just going to Transfer over. Yes. I, but yeah. I think the one thing, too, and I'll – Dabo was a, a surprising because Dabo and, and, David, you've covered that program forever now. Um, it seemed like there was a real good relationship between players and coaches there. And some of the stuff that's happened and some of the backlash he got was surprising for us on the outside. Uh, was it surprising to you? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the thing with Dabo is there's – um, I, I almost feel like he's kind of reached the saturation point nationally, right? Where for a long time, it was cute and quaint. Uh -huh. If you were not a Clemson fan, you could kind of root for him as the underdog. Well, he's not the underdog anymore. He's the guy who's got two national championships in the last four years. And I think some of the things that he's said are being viewed through a more critical eye. The fact that some and, player and, and he's very player, sensitive and he's very sensitive to this stuff too. Yes, correct? he's very. My biggest concern with him, or my biggest complaint or critique, was that he was so defensive rather than listening in a key moment like that. And that that was one of the things that I, I tried to bring up is like, man, Dabo, it's not about you this time. It's you got to listen to what's being said. Not every critique. Yeah, yes, he gets criticized a lot unfairly, 
Some of it is fair though. And that's when you're making $9 million a year as a head coach, that part of your job is to determine what is fair criticism and what is not. And look, there's a lot that goes on here that doesn't really get talked about. And, and, and on one side, Dabo's life story is such that he's essentially been told all his life, you can't do this. You are not good enough. You are not smart enough. Uh, and he's proven people wrong. So it's, I think it's sort of his default setting to say when he gets criticized, like, no, those people don't know what they're talking about. I proved people wrong my entire life. I'll do it again. Um, but the other thing of it is I had a great conversation with Matt Brown about this about a year ago, about his time at Texas. And he said, you know, we won the national championship in 05, the Vince Young year. And, the amount that changed for me, so I didn't change, but everything that surrounded me changed. Mm-hmm. You realize what you are bringing to your school, to your city, to your state, to your players, to your boosters, your supporters, your administration, the amount of money that comes in, the amount of attention that comes in. You know, you're more, and, and you look at the, the, the enrollment numbers and the application numbers at Clemson since like the Deshaun Watson era began, I think they've more than doubled, maybe tripled in terms of, of applications coming into the school for people who want to be students there. These are not negligible things. And so what Max said is like, as this kept going and I realized how much it was incumbent on me to keep winning and keep these people happy, that did start to change me. I had to start doing things the way that I didn't want to do them. And by the end at Texas, he was miserable doing it that way. He wasn't successful doing, doing it that way. And he was glad to be gone. I don't know that Dabo's at that point, but I think Dabo clearly realizes like there's a money train going on right now with what we have rolling. And I can't afford to take these hard draw line in the sand stances sometimes because I don't want to rock the boat because the boat is filled with cash, cash. right now. Yeah. And, 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 but I mean, look at, take him out of the equation. Okay. Mike Gundy is going to be hanging by a thread. Like if they if they don't have a good year, he's going to be gone after all this. I mean, just the player revolt is going to make it difficult for a recruit and everything. And and, P- and Pickens isn't there anymore because he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so that that won't work in his favor either. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I think the schools don't want to hear players speaking out like this. I think it's unpleasant for them. What they really don't want is recruiting to take a nosedive because of something like this. That's when you will see real hard changes when recruits won't come to play for Mike Gundy. Uh, and, and I do think questions that are going to be asked in living rooms across the country in recruiting from now on are going to be much different questions than you might've been hurt hearing in living rooms before all. Yeah. So, so yeah. is that going to, that's going to hurt a guy. I'll use the name Brian Kelly's one name. I think that'll hurt. It'll help somebody like James Franklin, who is very good in that living room and, and getting getting his message across the parents and everything to get this, the kids in state. But a Brian Kelly, it might, it might not. It might not help Chip Kelly either. No, but a guy who's <laughs> going to be a yeller and a screamer on the sidelines. You know, Nick is Nick Saban's at an age where he doesn't give a crap anymore. <laughs> Nor does he have to. Nick, no. Nick Saban is above all of it. That no, is right. but Fair. like, but Ogeron, those type of guys. If you're younger, you better watch the way you look on a camera now because it's going to be scrutinized to every degree. Well, a lot more. Look, frankly, even even when you talk about Nick Saban, I mean, I think there is – Dabo did such a good job of, of drawing that line of demarcation between him and Saban as this Alabama-Clemson rivalry has percolated over the last few years of Dabo's the fun coach and Saban's the – the Darth Vader. The workhorse coach, Yeah. yeah. 
and, and I think you even saw Saban start to take that into consideration of how he was going to be perceived and that the old way of perceiving him as the taskmaster, program builder, was not necessarily a, a strength for him anymore. And so even if you remember the, the situation uh, a couple of years ago with Maria Taylor interviewing uh, him on the sideline about Jalen Hurts and Tua and Saban flips out and – you know, if this had been five years ago, people would have just laughed it up as that's that's how Nick Saban goes about doing his job. Well, now it looked bad for him. It was it was bad optics for him. It wasn't going to help him on the recruiting trail. It wasn't going to help his image. And he came right back out and made a show of the apology on that. That's not something that Nick Saban would have had to have done five years ago. I think – and so if it's true for Nick Saban today – as he said, it is a hundred percent true for a lot of folks. Other than that, yep. Mike, I don't David, have a, I, I thought three-year-old screaming in the background. Don't worry, so about that's it. okay. I got a twenty, whatever. I scream in the background. The thing you just said, <laughs> though, about different questions may be asked. You know, you're going into a lot of African American communities, and with all the things that have happened in our country in the last three, four, and probably will continue to happen. I think you're absolutely right. I think parents. Families, kids may be asking different questions of these coaches, you know, and, and it may influence where they go or don't go. And, and look, to, to be fair about all this to some of these coaches, too, because I'm in this boat, you know, there's just sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. And I think that's probably true of Dabo. I don't, yeah. my interactions with him have never been that he's a bad guy who doesn't, you know, care about his players' well being or doesn't want to see his players uh, become better, more well rounded folks. I think he is that person, but sometimes you don't realize maybe the message that you're sending when you're trying to protect your program or you're trying to keep the money train coming in that, that maybe there's a message on the other side, or maybe there's just stuff you didn't realize are important to your players because you never thought to ask because it's not been your life experience. So these conversations are good in a lot of ways because I think we're all trying to learn as we go. We're all trying to be better uh, people and better advocates there will be coaches who will embrace that. There will be coaches who will continue to wear an OAN t-shirt in folks and uh, are not going to embrace it. They're going to view this as an attack on the way that they have always lived their lives. And right. those are the ones who aren't going to survive. Look, sports in every sense is a microcosm of society. And sports in every sense is about adjusting as other people, the adjustments, to the adjustments, to the adjustments, right? And, and the coaches who are willing to adjust as society changes, I think, are going to be the coaches who flourish down the road. The coaches who say, this isn't the way I did things 20 years ago, by God, and I'm not going to do something differently just because of these you know, kids who want to shout now on Twitter. Those guys aren't going to survive. Which leads us yeah. to Major League Baseball. Uh, David, one, <laughs> do, you miss, do you miss the baseball beat? Uh, I do. I miss, I miss, well, I miss you, Kevin. I mean, wow, clearly, that's uh, given. I but mean, no, you know, the, I, I was, it's funny because I'm in a much different point in my life than I was when I was working with y'all covering baseball and I have two kids now and, uh, I, you know, I, I have some stability in, in having lived in the same city for more than a few months at a time. <laughs> uh, these are all positive things, but I always tell young, young folks like that are getting out of college and want to cover sports. I'm like, and if you have the opportunity to cover baseball, do that because you will never learn how to do this job better than being on the baseball beat. It is the most demanding, the big, the biggest grind, the hardest job to do. But at, at the same time, man, you learn so much from doing it. And it's so rewarding when you get to do it well. And I mean, one of my frustrations covering colleges is that, 
you know, we talk a lot about this sort of power dynamic, but like if I want to talk to a college athlete that I don't already have a pretty good relationship with, I got to go through their sports information folks who will then ask the head coach if it's okay to do this interview. Most of my interviews will be done with like 25 other you know, got reporters hanging around. It's really hard to build relationships with these guys and see who they really are, which is a problem in my mind, because one of the things that we've learned over the last few weeks is like, there's some really good, smart dudes out there and they deserve to be heard more. Um, Baseball, you get that, man. You get to be in the locker room and you get to, I always said it's like, it becomes this like traveling circus where you all hate each other by the end of it, but boy, you know each other really well. Yeah. that's, That's the thing I miss. And the one thing, too, is the fact that baseball and obviously the locker room situation is going to change now post-COVID, I would imagine. I mean, I don't know if we would have the access that we used to. Mike and I have talked about that in the past. But I think the one thing that that you could – colleges are good at covering up the warts in a program Mm -hmm. because you don't have that access. Baseball, it's there every day. And baseball, you see everything, which leads to the fact that what has happened here in the last – three weeks how bad is it damaged the game you think look i mean i i grew up the biggest baseball fan ever uh and 94 wasn't going to keep me from watching baseball i loved baseball too much but it did take its toll on my appreciation of the game i was probably a less active involved fan after 94 and they, you know, look, they got lucky to have Cal Ripken come along at the moment that that was happening. And uh, I guess you could say they got lucky with McGuire and Sosa. I mean, that certainly turned it on its head in the years after that, but it did what it needed to do at the time. So, you know, I don't know, maybe it all, that all happens again, but now I kind of view it as somebody who like, I have a lot less time now. I'm not 17 years old super baseball fan. I've got two kids and a job that doesn't allow me to watch 162 games a year. And if they're going to screw this up, you know, I don't know how much I come back. Yeah. I'll tune in for some games when uh, I'll probably tune in for the postseason. but it's, you know, I think I'm probably more indicative of what the average baseball fan is now than I was in 94. And I just know, like, you know, it's, Here's your chance, man. Keep me as a fan, and if you if you screw this up, I can't promise I'm back. I probably won't. I probably won't be back, at least in the way that I have been. Mike. Yeah. So, given what you just said, David, do you care that they're having a season or not? And I'm, I mean, I'm assuming unless they, they there's grievances filed, and all, they're going to have some kind of a sprint, and there'll be a playoff or whatever. And my, as I always say to Kevin, it's not that I don't care. I care a lot less. You know, I think it's one of those things where you can kind of turn into the skid a little bit here if you're baseball. If you wanted to play this right, I mean, this has a chance to be something that's really different. You know, it has that sort of sprint to the finish could be fun in a lot of ways. It's certainly, you know, you you, if you're playing one third of the number of games that you did, you would normally play. Each of those games has three times the impact. Um, So there's I mean, there's some upside to trying to make this work if they will play the cards the right way. But if this is essentially a, a, a thing where, you know, a bunch of guys might sit out because it's not worth it to them, where there's going to be ongoing labor arguments that, that sidetrack the discussion um, where, uh, or they just screw up the whole process and it doesn't, doesn't pan out or they have outbreaks and end up having to cancel the season midway through. 
I mean, there's there's so much room for problems here if they don't if they aren't all on the same page about trying to make this work. If they are all on the same page and they want to make it work and they they sort of embrace the limitations of this system, there's upside to it. I'd love to watch you know a a sprint to the finish line like this, but. Um, you know, and again, and, they, and perhaps, you know, if there's not football or college football, perhaps this is an opportunity for them to really carve out a little bit of a market that they wouldn't have had. But I still think we're a long way away from, from having any of the answers to that. And, yeah. you know, frankly, again, we've all been around Major League Baseball long enough to know, like, asking them to pull off something difficult is probably not going to happen. All right. I got, <laughs> that's true. All right. Your favorite Philly speed story. What is it? Oh, man. I mean, there's so many good ones. And it's not, uh, I assume it's not Gelbin Murphy arguing over you on the last day of at the news. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many good Gelb Murph. I mean, just to, to limit to Gelb Murph arguments, I mean, it's hard to narrow that down. The time that they got in the shouting match in the uh, Sarasota press box during spring training was a great one. Oh, that I mean, was really a good hard one. To that was a good uh, one. I was there for that one, actually. Yeah. But, you know, I think, of course, the one that, that, I think I'll always be remembered for, uh, which really was a, just a great all-around one, was Phillies play four in Milwaukee. Uh, after the first three, which the Phillies won, you know, I send in my game story. I wake up the next day probably a little hungover in a hotel room. So happened to be the first Sunday of football season, NFL season. And I got like eight emails from readers making fun of me for the headline that is on my story and the on, on the uh, – paper's website, which is Phillies sweep Brewers. Now it's a four game series in which three games have been played. So that's already <laughs> a problem. I would argue that Phillies sweep Brewers is not a great headline, even if it had been accurate, uh, but set all that aside. So I said, I'm very frustrated by this because you know, the average reader does not know that we don't write the headlines. Yeah. So I email in and say, this needs to get fixed. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm it's September. I'm pissed off. There's football on today. I'm not going to cover this game until this gets fixed. And we should I'll, point out this, this is a non-playoff year, correct? This was no. This was their. This would have been this 2011. Oh my! Oh, yeah, God. 11. So my, uh, I decided to play a game of chicken with my editors and said I'm not going into the to the ballpark until this gets fixed. So I went out and got some uh, some lunch, had a beer, still hadn't been fixed. Uh, eventually I guess they won the game of chicken. Cause I was like, I gotta go cover this game. So I got there in like the third inning. This was certainly not the most uh, professional moment <laughs> of my life. Uh, so I did write the game, but the best part of that is that, uh, <laughs> Murph was not at that game either. Uh, because the day, but they didn't have that, uh, no Labor Day paper. Right. Right. So on Saturday, he decided he wanted to go see Wisconsin play a football game in Madison. So he drives to Madison and goes to see Wisconsin play. Well, then when he gets up to go back to, to Milwaukee to go cover the game, he gets on the interstate going in the wrong direction and drove like two, <laughs> two hours west instead of east and didn't make it to the game either. So anyway, all around a really solid. Uh, that's not as good. That's not as good as. That's not as good as Murph. Losing his passport at the Sky Dome. Were you there for that one? I was not there for that. I was on the beat, but I wasn't in Toronto for that series. He he got to the border and realized that he left his passport in the press box at, at Sky Dome as he drove home. 
Uh, Mike, Mike, uh, Mike, you're not laughing. The most idiotic, brilliant person or the most brilliant (laughs) idiot out there. Um, He falls into both categories somehow, though. Mr. Kearney. I'm not not surprised by, I mean, I know Murph. I mean, (laughs) I mean, mean, David just summed them up. I mean, he's, he's, there's a part of David that is really brilliant, um, thinks outside the box. I think sometimes too much, but that's who he is. Um, But then there's other times when, you know, you just kind of look at him and go, really? Like, but you know, that they could probably say that about all of us, you know, well, I, I guess. If, if Murph didn't do the stupid things to go with the brilliant things, he'd just be insufferable, right? We, we need right. to <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Uh, Mr. Murphy will be on this podcast, I'm sure, at some point. Hey, 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 yeah. uh, I got, I got, I got, although I got to say, Murph's stories are not as good as the, as there's Finno's stories. You've heard about them, right? Of course. Um, and the one where a guy, I don't know the writer's name and Mike, you can correct me on this one covered the flyers in the early years for the Camden courier post. Oh God. You know, the story? No, but I'm an old man. I, 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 you know, I, I'll, I'll think of it halfway through the conversation. All right. So the spectrum roof blows off and a flyers game was canceled and the, the the game is canceled, so he calls his office and he goes, uh, "Yeah, I don't have a story to get today. The game is called." Okay, why was the game called? Oh, the spectrum roof blew off. <laughs> well, don't you think that's a story? Nah, that's okay. The game is called. Yeah, there's nothing to cover. You know, it's like really. So, uh, right. journalism at its finest. Exactly. I'll tell you what, here, I'll give you one more. This is only a quasi Murph story, but this is when people ask me. About I like the Gelb stories holiday. too, by the way. So. <laughs> Uh, when people ask me about covering Roy Halliday, this is my favorite doc story. So you'll remember the uh, game in Wrigley that he pitched the first five innings and had to come out from heat exhaustion. It was like over overloaded. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day uh, he holds a little sort of mini press conference in the dugout in Wrigley, which in Wrigley, the dugout is not very sizable. No. So there's, you know, 60 people trying to crowd around him for this, uh, this interview session and me and Murph are in the very back of the crowd. And then there's cameramen that are like right behind us. And Murph ends up getting into a fight with one of the cameramen that's there, uh, for one of the TV stations who is like trying to edge Murph out of the way so that he can get a better shot. And Murph's not giving up any space. Uh, he's like mourning in the paint there. It was great. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, they're arguing and, and, and so Doc's just doing this interview. I mean, you you know, talking like nothing's going on, but like all the reporters are turning around and looking at like they're Murph and this cameraman are legitimately cursing at each other and about to like get in a fist fight, like, like not backing down about to be in a fist fight. And, you know, so all the press conference goes on, whatever Doc finishes up and leaves. And, uh, you know, everybody's kind of talking about Murph and the cameraman being in a fight or what have you. So, anyway, game happens. I forget who pitched that night. But we come into the locker room for post game, and Doc's sitting at his locker. And I walked in right behind Murph, and Doc just spins around. And he's like, hey, glad to see you didn't get your ass kicked. <laughs> and, but, like, to me, if you wanted to know what made Doc so great, you would not have known during that press conference that he had any idea that the rest of this chaos was going on. He was laser focused <laughs> on what his job was, but turns out he was taking it all in and processing it. He just didn't let you know that it was happening. He and, was going uh, to do it quietly. What makes him so great is he was so 
good at doing his job, but not necessarily being unaware of all the other crap that was going on around him. David Hale from ESPN, who is uh, used to cover the Phillies for the Wilmington News Journal, uh, has been at ESPN for eight years, and uh, I should point out one of the one of the better guys on the beat. And and we didn't even get into the Salisbury stripping off to his undershirt in that Chicago press box story, <laughs> which was an even better one. David, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, David, hey, I hope I, I hope fun. you I hope you get to enjoy a season. I hope so too, because I can't promise they're going to have me uh, paid for a ninth season at ESPN if I don't have college football. <laughs> for an eighth stop, season. So fingers crossed. That's right. David, thanks a lot. We'll be back on Work on the Beat right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work on the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. And we're back here on Work in the Beat. Our thanks to David Hale for joining us. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the college football situation, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Um, whether it's, it, going if, to be, it's going to be interesting to see any situation over the next months, whether it's NBA, NHL. They're all hitting these things that nobody – and they're going to go forward, Kevin. They're, they're going to, you know – especially the pros. Um, but it's just, you know, I think we just forget sometimes that we're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with people like us. They're just better people because they're athletes. You know, they do something we can't do. And, and um, there, there's a million issues. It's, it's not like there's one issue, you know? So, yeah, it's, you know, and you didn't even bring up Confederate flags. No, I mean – that's a but, that's a whole different side topic. Right. But I'm just saying there's like a whole thing that's happening there that I look at that and go, am I not, am I losing my mind that somebody's putting a noose in this guy's uh locker, not locker, but whatever is what country am I living in? I I I mean, really? I I don't I got to I got to hit myself sometimes to just All right. figure it out. Let's, I don't know. Let's focus on the baseball situation. Obviously, Manfred last night imposes a 60-game schedule. No expanded playoffs. No universal DH. Um, The strange extra inning rules from the minor leagues are going to get adopted because they don't want games going over 15 innings or whatever. There could be ties. Um, Just a really bad look all around for the sport when you consider what's going on here in the last, you know, month and a half, really. Hey, it is what it is, Kevin. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to on say, both sides. It's not just the owners, by the way, too. I'm, it's, it's yeah. Um, but sports has a lot of bad looks, you, you know, sports are sports, you know, whether it's a guy holding out or a guy doesn't want to get, Hey, look, you got to tell me this though. So I under try to understand this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's done this now. Now, I keep hearing that there is still a chance. What can the players do now? 
I, I, I don't quite understand this. I've heard about grievances. I've heard about is there a chance they won't play baseball or because well, Manfred yeah, said this? There's a there's a chance. I mean, it's, there will be a grievance. Unless there's an agreement reached today, there's going to be a grievance filed. And that grievance will take a couple years. <clears throat> They'll say that the owners did not negotiate it in good in good faith. Okay. Uh, that argument is weaker, I think, because of what Manfred and Clark did last week. Uh, right. The idea of they look like they had 60 games and players wanted 70 and all that. It, 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 it's... In my mind, I think it's um, it's likely to fail. Um, I'm not a legal scholar, but it just it seems like that last bit of effort was at least a, a good effort to try. So to get you're going. We're going to know by tonight if the players have agreed to this, and you tend to think that they won't. They will. Oh, they will. They will. Okay. They will go back, but they will still file a grievance. Oh, oh, okay. They will go back. They're, right now, it depends on the health and safety rules. And I got you. Okay. If there's an okay. issue with the health and safety rules, then maybe they don't go back. Uh-huh. You know, individual players could, in theory, say, I'm worried about my health and I'm not going back. Right. As we've seen with some NBA players. Yeah. Have, have said that. And usually on teams that aren't don't have a chance. The road. But everybody, the, everybody has a chance in baseball because you're starting 0-0. Zero, zero. The bottom line is the road ahead here is so filled with potholes at this point. You know, you mean for this year or for the future? For well, I'm saying for this year. The future, okay. the okay. future is a mess, right? But this right. year, you know, realize you have two Texas teams, two an Arizona team, an Arizona team, two, two in Florida, Florida and two, five yeah. in California. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I don't know. I, you're talking. And, and, you're talking. You're talking. Thirty three percent of the league is in an area where the highest spikes are going to are taking place right now. Right, and you're not in a bubble. Although, as and, and this is the the surprising part to me, the places that have decided to do bubbles now they're finding issues with the bubble. Yeah, like the NBA. Which, right, which I thought was this the, the to me made the most sense. But I'm forgetting that I'm asking some guy to maybe stay 60 days by himself or whatever that would entail. Well, and, you know. and also the, the the problem with the bubble is the fact that you're going to have housekeepers and yeah, chefs I, yeah. and bus sure. drivers and you know yeah. are are they in the bubble too? I mean, uh, if they are, you better be damn sure you're paying them enough that it makes it worth their while to be in the bubble. I think the big biggest question with all this, no matter what they're doing, where they're going, where is what do you do when people test positive? Like, do you like right now? We're seeing uh, the training camp shut down. We're seeing uh, college football teams shutting down, and they're not even back to practicing yet. Mm-hmm. But like, if you get into a season and three Dodger players, just for the sake of argument, or, or people that come in contact with Dodger players test positive, like, what do you do? Do you shut the Dodgers down? Do you take those three players out of the equation? If you're the Phillies and you just played the Dodgers or you're going to play the Dodgers, you know, what do you have to say about that? That, You know, that's because that's what happened with the NBA. It was like, you know, Rudy Gobert test positive, and then all of a sudden the two teams that have, you know, I, I, didn't the Sixers play the Pistons or something who had played 
the, yeah. the Utah. Yeah. And you just run into it. It's like, you know, Kim, yeah, there's so many, um, uh, like one thing can touch 15 things. That's where the problems come in. And I don't know if these leagues have actually sat down and said, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do if When this happens, we're going to, or if they're going to do it on the fly, which doesn't seem like it would work, but you know, Again, they get they got they they they're in a position where they have to try something, you know. Yeah, and, uh, and you're talking about the bubble. I mean, you know, the NBA's bubble, the NBA's bubble, and MLS bubble. We all thought, oh my goodness, you know what? You know, Orlando. It sounds like a great idea. Well, Orlando's now such a hot spot. Yep, and, and on the and on the same way. The NHL, we kind of went, all right, they're going to have it in two cities and all that. And yep. they may send the east to the west and the west to the east to make sure nobody has a home field, a home ice advantage, if you will. Well, it sounds like that plan may work. Um, that may look, have a better plan at this yeah, point. We don't, know, we don't know what's going to work and what isn't going to work. It, it's just, we're, we're, we're you know, you, you could, you, there's so many things you're hearing. We don't know what's going to happen in October. We don't know what's going to happen in three weeks. Um, so, you know, how can, I mean, what is this? The one women's soccer team isn't even going to compete in that cup thing they're doing because 10 of their players tested positive. Well, how do we know with 130 college football teams, and that's just F- FBS, that's mm-hmm. not even the other schools. But I'm telling you, Kevin, as I said when Dave was on, I've talked to a couple people this week. I was playing golf with them, and they both work at, at – College universities, and they they have a plan. They have you know this is what we're going to do. This is how we think we're going to do it. But they say the plan could change at any time. Oh, it could. And and that's the part that I don't think people understand in all this. They think okay, the NBA is going to go here, and we're going to do this. We're going to have a champion, and the NHL is going to do the same thing, and pro football is going to start on you know September whatever it's going to start. You know, uh, you might get to October, you might play four NFL games, and then you might have to say, hey, we, we can't do this right now. I, 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 especially when you bring fans into it, to me, you're just complicating everything. And it's complicated enough. Yeah. You know, as the NBA is finding out, and the NHL probably will be the same, and baseball will not have fans, I'm assuming. The NFL wants fans. Yeah. And college football wants fans. And – I'll give it. It's outdoors, so there's a little bit of a difference there. Mm-hmm. Baseball's outdoors. I mean, you know, who's to say you couldn't put ten thousand people in Citizens Bank, you know, and spread them out? I mean, I, I, I don't know how that would work. Um, but they're telling the, you know, press guys might not even be allowed in. Yeah. Uh, actually, there's a on the NHL. Um, they're going to announce their hubs by the end of the week. Um. But well, Vegas is going to be one of them, right? They haven't officially announced that yet, but it seems like they're the favorite. Pen- and the Flyers would, would end up going there. Probably, yeah, is what everybody believes is going to happen. Penguins. What, and, were, the, what were the East? Well, here, here I'm, this is the, the news. Penguins have just announced they are out as a potential hub city for the NHL. So is Dallas. So the cities left, the six cities left are Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto, Chicago, L.A., and Vegas. Wait a minute, right? Give me uh, Edmonton. Give me them again, real slow. Edmonton, Edmonton, Vancouver, right? Toronto, three Canadian, Chicago, 
right? L.A. and Vegas. So nothing east of the. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, and L.A. is in a. You know, right now that's not a great spot, right? Maybe no. we we don't kind of know. I, I'm just wondering if you take it to a Canadian place, if that matters. Maybe it doesn't matter because there may, it, there's negotiations apparently with the Canadian government to have a. Um, to have an exemption to the 14 day quarantine rule where the legal right. basically can self quarantine. Right. Um, okay. And, and the other thing, Kevin, is if you're out on the West coast, there is a time difference. So, I mean that, I don't know how that would come into play, but you're obviously not going to, you know, I don't think you want to start games at nine in the morning to have a, well, a yeah, but game on these. You're coast, also right? not worrying about having to appease fans, like a fan, a ticket thing. So you could play in theory, at, yeah, I'm talking about watching it on TV though. Like, if if you wanted to watch, let's let's say, you, you uh, I don't know, uh, the Flyers are playing, but it's in Los Angeles, and the games you have to make sure that the game isn't going to start. Like, I don't think you want games starting at ten o'clock, do you? Like, if you want to get the most fans to watch, I don't know. I don't know. Does that does that make sense? The Phillies have just announced that following up on Friday's announcement, one player and two staff members in Clearwater tested positive for COVID-19 over the past few days. All of our tests have come back negative. In addition, one player tested positive in a location other than Clearwater. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the other thing is, let's say, I don't know, 100 people test positive. 90% of those people might not have symptoms or they might not have, you know, you can fail a test. But, you know, if you're a 28-year-old, virile guy, you know, you might not get sick. You might not. But then the problem is you still have to quarantine that person for 14 days. You know, let's say we get to the NFL season and week four, Carson Wentz tests positive. Hey, Carson, bye-bye. See ya. Yeah. Jalen Hurts, you go in. Oh, Jalen, you tested. Oh, you were in the room with Carson? Oh, okay, what? You know, I, you know I, 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 I just don't know. Maybe this is what we have to live with. You know, like a guy gets injured. He sprains his ankle. He's out two weeks. Okay, he's got COVID-19. He's out two weeks. I, I, you know, it, it's just there's there's so much uncertainty, and I understand we need it. You know, we we God forbid we 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 need it. We need our sports. We need, but as you tweeted out, it, this isn't going to help a lot of the people that really need help. No, the people that work the concession stands, the people that work whatever the parking lot, the who you know a, a million people that you could think of it ain't going to help them. You know, they ain't going to get anything out of this. Well, the NFL, they might, or I guess if you're going to have some fans in the stands, I guess they maybe they will. I I don't know. I think the one thing I think the one thing you have to keep in mind is, again, and I said this last night on Twitter. Um, it's it's I don't want to say the little people because these people are important to make an operation go. PR yep. people, ticket agents, uh, yep, salespeople. Um, you know, and people in our business are going to get impacted. You know, you heard David at the end of that. You know, I want to see your nine. Absolutely. Your uh, you know, like. But think of the guy, Kevin, who who sells hot dogs. I don't, I don't know. Pick, pick ushers. Yeah, you know, at, at a baseball game, they work 81 home games. Yep. Um. Yeah, and look, I'm not saying they get rich, but they they probably come to depend on that money. It's Whatever it is they're making, even if they're making $100 a game. It's good income. It's good income that pays for maybe the car getting repaired or whatever. Exactly, or maybe put some food on their table or, yeah. or whatever. And I understand there's been a lot of people impacted like this. They're not the only people. Uh, you know, we see stories every day, hundreds of stories 
But boy, it's just um, it's it's it, it's sad. And and like I said, I really don't think maybe this is going to all work out. You know, may, maybe we're all wrong. Uh, the virus, you know, isn't going to be. But all the signs point to that it's going to be bad for a while. Mm-hmm. How bad we don't know. And it's probably going to get worse in the winter when people are inside and not going out. And it's and all we kept hearing about was how the heat was going to help make this thing go away. Is the heat helping make this thing go away? Fa- Dr. Fauci, I, in, in testimony today, Dr. Fauci told lawmakers uh, coming weeks will be critical to address a disturbing surge of infections across the U.S. There was another one in there. Uh, Fauci says the U.S. is going to t- do more testing, not less. Yeah, well, yeah, well, but but if that if that is in direct conflict with what is coming out of the administration and how do you how do you resolve that? I know, oh, by the way, we have an election coming up, and for all we know, we may have a change in power or we may not have a change in power. And you know, and the vaccine is still probably no. He said by the sick. end of the year that was one of the things he said. Okay, more well, li- awesome. more likely than not. That's awesome. Now, then the second question after that becomes, does it work? You know, which yeah, you know, you're hopeful it will. And how how soon can they get it out and get it? You know, yeah, th- that's great. That's the greatest news I've heard shoot, in a while. But we're still six months away from that, and, maybe. And of course, you know, that's a lo- that's a long time. Uh, today, Novan Djokovic announced he po- oh, yeah. tested positive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he he organized a a, a tournament, Sh- and yeah. there's a picture of him surrounded by like six, 50 people. It's like Yep. Yo, yep. man, it comes down to common sense. It really does. You know, and I'll admit, right. like, I'm going out more than I did, but I always wear a right. mask. Right. I mean, I, and it does right. that make it bulletproof? No, but it makes and, you feel. You, you probably don't go in crowds of 50 people if you don't have to. I get a lows, but. No, no, but what I'm saying is, but you're not standing with 50 oh, no. people. No, you're in line. You're you know? out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. Look. Anytime you have any controversy about anything, whether it's statues, a Confederate flag, wearing a mask, and you have 350 million people in a country, not all 350 million people are going to do what you do. There's going to be a sizable contingent that, for whatever reasons, is going to do the other, whether it's right or wrong or whatever. But the only thing that we know about this pretty much Mm -hmm. is that social distancing and wearing the mask has helped. To what degree do we know? We don't know. But now that you get the green light and people are just like, okay, and we're finding out, but you're not going to change that. I I said this a month ago. People get the green light. They want to go zero to 60 because they haven't done anything for three months. They've been in their house. They don't know how, you know, and, and when the administration is sending the message, that you, hey, mask, uh, you know what? It's up to you, you know? Okay. Well, there's a lot of people that are going to see that and say, hey, well, if, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And I can't argue that. I uh, can't. No, you know? and you're right. I, um, how was your father's day? Oh, it was good. We went up to my son's house. You know, there is, there, there, his in-laws were there and the great-grandmother. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, uh it was. I think that was one of the first times the great grandmother had been out, actually. And and yeah, I wore. I took a mask up because I didn't know. And she, she, they didn't have a mask, so we were like, okay. Um, I went to the beach yesterday, Ocean City. Um, it was a wonderful day. We we wore our mask, and not on the beach. When we got to the beach, you know, we were 10, 12, 15, 
Christ, we were 20 feet probably away from anybody. But we, when we went to the boardwalk, we wore our masks. And there were some people that did. And there were some people that didn't. You know, um, I, you know uh, I just think this notion that we're going to now start, you know, restaurants are going to be opening. To what degree, I don't know. But like I said, when I read that story about the, the Nick Watney and, you know, how he might have contacted it, and they said that in Hilton Head last week, I can only speak for what the story said. Restaurants were open. They were full capacity. Yep. There wasn't, like, anything. And nobody was wearing mad. Nobody. Well, I don't know. Maybe the waitresses were. I, I, I don't know. Well, if you're going to do that. You're going to. Some, some people, not everyone. It's going to get sick. But some people are going. And, but I think there's some people at this point that don't care. Yeah. If people get sick. I, um. um I, I, I can tell you this story. On Thursday, I picked up my book. Now, wait a minute. You grilled steaks on Sunday, right? <laughs> or you, I thought you told me you were going to grill steaks. I uh, I got surprised by my wife. Um, oh, good for you. Uh, she grilled. Yeah. Uh, prime rib. Ooh. And you, we, can do prime, you, you can do prime rib on the grill? Yeah. And cr- okay. And crust it and everything. It kept the juices in. It was, on the outside, it was like, I don't want to say charred, but it was, you know, a good outside crust. And then on the inside, uh, medium. It was really good. Hey, we're, happy Father's Day. And uh, so, but I, I got to tell a story. My, I felt bad. My buddy, Mike, um, he works in the insurance in, industry. And I told him I'd pick him up last Thursday at the airport. And I did. Um, he was coming in from Lubbock, Texas. Okay. I had a, I, I, I didn't, I asked him for my own peace of mind. And Mike went along with it to wear a mask when he got in my car. Sure. Uh, because he was gone for like three, four weeks. And it's almost yeah. like, it, it, you know, you realize it's just, a, it's awkward to ask that, but it's just like a sign of like, look, I'm looking out for you. You're looking out for me, all that. and But it, it shouldn't be awkward. No, and That's my buddy, that, and Mike but, didn't make it awkward, and Mike right. was real good about it. I felt awkward asking it. No, but see, the whole problem is that it, you felt awkward. Mm-hmm. See, that, that's the whole problem. Like, w- when I went golfing for the first time, like, I don't know, three weeks ago or so, we, we, uh, maybe a month, we were going to Glen Mills. Right. And I didn't feel like taking two cars all the way down to Glen Mills. Right. So I said to my friend, you know, and he goes, look, we'll drive in the car. He goes, I'll put gloves on. We'll put your mask on. And we did. And I felt weird. I'm looking at him like, really, should we be doing this? But we did it. Yeah. Because that's just what we did. And... The whole problem with the country right now, or, or, or maybe the world, I mean, I'm not saying to, it shouldn't be an awkward question for you to ask. I no. mean, you should. And what I did, like when we were on, and, and nothing really came up on the boardwalk last night. You know, you kept your distance at the pizza place. You know, you got whatever. But if I ever saw a crowd, would I just would avoid the crowd. Right. That's me. But, you know, I, I can't tell everybody what to do. It's, uh, you know, it, I, you know, at this point, we've been into it for three months. If people don't know what they're going to do by now, there's nothing you're going to do to tell them what to do. It's just they, they're either going to do it, they're not going to do it. They've probably been doing it, not been doing it. Um, you know, like you said, we. I mean, it, it, to me, if you go in a store, you have to wear a mask. Well, if that's good enough for the store, why shouldn't it be good enough for, <laughs> you know, and I mean, if you're just walking around your street, Kevin, you're just – 
You don't have to wear a mask. When I walk my dog, I don't wear a mask. But I don't really come in contact with anybody. You know, if I see somebody, I might come within four, five, six feet of you. You wave, you say hi, whatever. But if I knew I was going somewhere where I was going to be, you know, like if you said to me next week, hey, we're going to go to Chickies and Pete's. There's going to be like six of us. And we're going to have a, get some food, have a drink, whatever. I, I think I would take my mask with me. I don't blame you. And, and then, you know, see how everybody else felt about it and and go from there. I, you know, I mean, people should go to church. But if you go to church, just be smart. You know, don't – I don't think – when did it become hard to be smart? I, 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 I miss that. I've been asking I, that for years. I yeah because but different people see things different and there might be people who might look at me and say Mike you're the idiot and you know I I that's and I I can't people come from different backgrounds they have they, they come from different places uh, they've been out of work for three weeks they they they're saying enough of this you know I got like I said with anything go have businesses go back but just go back smart you work in a school my wife works in a school. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens in September because that could be really, really dicey, but kids have to get educated. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Um, but it's going to be interesting. One final thing I want to bring up with you, and it was, uh, and we have 10 minutes left. So um, our buddy Mike Silski wrote a column last week about the state of baseball. And this goes beyond the negotiations. And he talks about how he grew up, kind of like David said, um, he grew up a baseball fan, but he doesn't love it anymore. And he's realized watching these old games, how different the game is and how much joy has been taken out of the game with home run or strikeout, home run or strikeout, home run or strikeout, as opposed to bunts and walks and going the opposite way and stealing bases and all that. I And it, you know, it raised a lot of Twitter eyebrows. And I got to, I got to ask you, I mean, you know, I know my feelings on it, but do you view the game as an entertaining product right now when it's played? Well, look, when I was probably what, five, six, seven, uh, baseball was the first sport. I, you know, not, and, and I grew up, to like every sport, you know, football, hockey, basketball, whatever. But baseball was the first because that's just, I think, 50 years ago, 55 years ago. That's the way you were ingrained. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. You, you were, it was kind of ingrained in you. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you know, you sit on the radio at night listening to the games because there was only like one game a week on the TV. The game has changed so much, Kevin. It's not – and look, football's changed too. Football's not the same game they played in the 70s. You go back and watch pictures of that, you know, the NBA's changed. Um, hockey's like every sport changes. Sure. Tennis isn't the same. If you watch tennis, golf, I mean, golf is still golf, but it, it has changed. And how, but most well, the equipment, far, in, the equipment in tennis right. and golf is what made it change. Yeah. Right. But if you look at baseball and I think it is, and yeah, it is that strikeout home run mentality. Yes. That's part of it. It's also the, let's have the starting pitcher go four and a half, five minutes and tell me did a great job. And then we're going to have, these five pitchers come in to finish the game, and one guy's, you know, maybe in an inning we're going to have three. Now, I know they're trying to put rules in to get rid of that. And it does take a long time. And it that's why I think playoff baseball is so good. Playoff anything's good. But playoff baseball, because then the three-and-a-half-hour game, you don't mind. 
because every pitch matters. And, you know, and then, but if you're just watching a game in June, you don't want that every pitch matters kind of stuff. Um, but that's the game. It isn't going back. I mean, you know, when Carlton and Gibson used to pitch against each other, the game was two hours. You know, they got the ball, they threw it. They, you know, that That's just the way it was. Tug McGraw used to pitch two innings of relief. Goose Gossage pitched two innings of relief. Sparky mm-hmm. Lyle, that's what they did back then. But I, but I will no, s- nobody does that now. No, but I will say, um, I think the idea that the stolen base is out. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. A form. I think the idea of guys going the opposite way. You know, we, we talk so much about shifts. Yep, I agree And, with and you going the opposite way used to be the way to beat the shift, and nobody can do that anymore. Kevin, uh, I watch games where... Shortening swings. Yeah. A pitch, every time a pitcher will throw to the outside of the plate, and I see the batter, and I'm not talking about Ryan Howard. You know, Ryan Howard's... Whatever. I always thought he was best when he was hitting the left center. But but power hitters are going to pull the ball. But I'll see like a 240 hitter try to pull the outside pitch and it's a ground ball of the shortstop. Yeah, the hundred and, and that happens like 10 times a game. The 160-pound shortstop trying to uppercut a ball into the third deck is uh, pisses me off when, beyond when, no end. All he has to do is stick his bat out and it's going to be a single to right field. But the problem with the game is they don't pay you for hitting singles. That's the problem. You know, Pete Rose said that 40 years ago. He had the great line when he get he goes, single hitters don't get paid. Now he did. Yeah. But they pay for the home run. That's what they pay for. And it's the old um Earl Weaver school of baseball. Let's play for the three run homer. But let's also That's how he But yeah. Mike, let's also be honest. The strategy of the game is being whittled away. Um and the strategy is what made it great that you could sit there and you could Guess along with a manager. Okay, runner gets on yeah. first, tie game, ninth inning, home team, lay a button down, get him over to second. That's not there right. anymore. Um, right. And, and if they go to the DH in the National League, it'll, it'll be less. And the other problem, Kevin, is the analytics. And yeah. I don't mean problem is it's wrong. I'm just saying we didn't have analytics 20 years ago. So now a lot of the decisions you just talked about, they're, they're, they're all analytical decisions. I think we've almost gone into information overload. I think that we, yeah. you know, nobody wants their dinner to just be vegetables. Nobody wants to have math homework dominate their night. And yet baseball has willingly turned its product into calculus class. It has. It ain't, go, it ain't going back. It ain't going back. It, it, but it but I'm saying, back. and I'm not saying teams shouldn't use it. I'm saying... Our broadcast use all these different analytic stats. And maybe it makes me sound like I'm an old man. And I readily admit. But I think there is an information overload. Uh, overload. And I think yeah. we're at that point right now. But look how it affects pro football. It's the same thing. I mean, God, you have to be, you have to be a computer to play quarterback. I mean... You look at the situational. Nobody but, plays every down anymore. But you, know, but you got a linebacker for this play. You got a linebacker for that play. Just but, play. But Mike, it's know? not thrown in your face as much as it is in baseball. Oh no, you're right. No, you're, because baseball is more of a cerebral sport. Mm-hmm. It's that's what attracted us to it in the first, the first place, place. Was there was uh, there's strategies that you just talked about. Um, th- there is no pretty much. 
it's not even the lefty righty thing anymore because some guy they, they they go to a little piece of paper. Yeah, uh, Howard hits two twenty against this guy, so we're bringing him in. And I have no problem with that. You're trying to win games. You want everything at your disposal, but every once in a while, you have to go with your gut. And it, but everybody's so afraid of being wrong, Kevin. And then, and this is the problem now with social media and everything. If if Girardi makes a decision on his gut and it doesn't work, what are people going to say? You know, you're going to write about it. People mm-hmm. are going to say it. And that's why you didn't have that 40 years ago. You didn't even have talk radio 40 years ago for crying out loud for people to go on and, and do that. And now it's like instantaneous. Oh, how could Girardi have pitched to that guy? You know, well, okay, he did. You know, it, it didn't work this time. So that's, you know, yep. that's the way it is. All right. So we are back on Thursday. I don't know who we're getting as a guest yet. Um, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I've got a couple in mind. Okay. Um, I like the balloons in the background. Father's Day balloons. Yeah, I, I could tell by the number one dad thing. Yeah. 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 I personally think one would have been okay, but, you know, they got more. <laughs> what, what can I tell you? By the way, we're counting down to July 7th. Yeah. You know, I, I, have, a, I have a doctor's appointment that morning. Uh, that I don't know if I'll still be going to or not. So we may not get there until noonish or afternoonish. Well, I was going to get there like afternoonish anyway. Like, you know, let that well, I wanted to be there when he cut the ribbon. You know, whenever, I, it's only the soft launch, I think. Yeah, but he's still Hag- cut a ribbon. Paul Hagen's uh, Chaps Pit Beef down in uh, at the Granite Run Mall site. But you, um, but you still have to cut a ribbon or make a speech or do something, don't you? You want to just hand the first bit of money to him, don't you? You get, the, you get the mayor of media's got to come out or something, or, or um, I don't know. You know, maybe the, maybe the mayor of media likes uh, pit beef. Uh, so we'll be back on Thursday. We'll find a guest. I think I know who. Hey, I if want. we don't if we don't find a guest, we should take a day off. We could. We could. Well, you, you think about it. Well. I think next week we're going to do only one next week anyway because of the holiday week. Yeah. Well, we could do yeah. – I don't know what's going to happen between now and Thursday that we're going to talk about unless you have a, a guest in mind. But that's just me. I'm, I, have a, I, I, I have a guest in mind. I think that's I do. That's fine. Uh, do what you do. I, would, I, think, I think we should get an NBA guest on. Whatever. I'm, I'm easy. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. Um, but I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Okay, babe. Uh, enjoy the prime rib. Uh, it, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, I know. It's, I know it's gone. <laughs> I, I, and I know what the next question is. Why didn't you see me some, right? No, no. I was in, I was in the cookout on Sunday. I was fine. Oh, by the way, be, was, best wishes to our buddy Tom McKenna. Uh, who is, uh, what's, no, what's who, who has finished his uh, chemotherapy and radiation treatments. Uh, so, good. So okay. Puck, is, uh, Puck is recovering, so, which is good news. So. Yeah, he's he's one of the good ones. Yeah, we should get Ted on one day, shouldn't we? You can do that, but you know how much Ted likes talk. I mean, you know, we're going to talk high schools. Yeah, why not? As we get towards high schools. Well, as we get towards high schools, I'm, I thought you meant Thursday. Oh, not Thursday, no. Yeah, you know, Ted doesn't like doing that stuff, though. He, he's not. That's not Ted's thing. I know it's not Ted's thing. But- we couldn't even get him to go on Daily News Live. Yeah, rest in peace. By the way, <laughs> oh, it's crazy! I, it's been 
that's been five years. It's probably been about five years. Oh, God, it's probably been more than No, no, since Daily News Live went off? Well, they made it. Yeah, well, but they Philly changed Sports the Talk. name. Philly Sports Talk. Right. I've, I haven't been at the paper for two and a half years. So it's been at least two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's been around five years, I'll bet you, since, since, it, since it wasn't Daily News Live. What can I say? Thank I you. know. Thank you, sir. Okay, baby. All right. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to David Hill for joining us. We will talk to you on Thursday. This has been We're Gonna Beat. Well, you went uptown riding in your limousine with your fine pop.